We're starting a new series on infection. What are the things that can easily infect our heart and cause us to become unhealthy in our walk with the Lord? And what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to go through the book of Philippians. There's four chapters. I would encourage you to read the book of Philippians. It's, it's, it's not a long read, but just so you can be up, we're going to look at Philippians 1 this week, Philippians 2 next week, 3, 4 uh, in the following weeks. And we're going to look at how can we remain healthy. One of my prayers for you as your pastor, this is the one thing that, that can just dismantle a church, dismantle your personal life, is when we become spiritually unhealthy. And it's so easy, just as, just as we can become unhealthy in our physical lives because of infection, the church can become unhealthy. It's easy for us to become spiritually sick, to become spiritually infected with something. And we have to guard our hearts against those things that can cause us to become unhealthy. Um, we just went through this um, season, you know, we go through the winter season and it's when we, we get sick, we get colds and we get the flu. How many of you this winter, you were sick? Raise your hand. Not if you're sick in the mind. You got, raise your hand if you got sick. This, okay, many of you, <laughs> okay, I don't know. Was I sick, honey? I don't, yes, you're sick. You're sick in the brain. That's, oh. Now, we, we all got sick, right? We, we all had some cold, uh, but when we are unhealthy, um, what begins to happen, how many know that when you are sick physically, not only does it affect you and your emotions, but how many know you're just hard to live with? Can I get an amen? The, the wives in this room should have stood up and said, Pastor, that's my life. You know, when the husband gets a little sniffle, honey, I think I got a call. You know, we just, we're just, how many know what I'm telling you? The men are the worst when we get sick, right? We just, we get a little sniffle and it's the end of the world. And meanwhile, when your wife gets the flu, she's got a 115 temperature and she's laying on the couch and you're looking at her and saying, honey, what's for dinner? <laughs> what, it's just 104, it went down a degree. It's only 112 now, at least fix dinner. Um, let me define what an, an infection is. An infection actually is the invasion of a host organisms, bodily tissues by disease-causing organisms. Their multiplication and the reaction to the host tissue to these organisms and the toxins they produce. Infections are caused by microorganisms such as viruses, pyrons, which I have no idea, bacteria, viroids, and larger organisms like macroparasites and fungi. It just makes you want to itch, doesn't it? You just, it's just, that's what, that's what an infection is. There are, there are times in our lives when we're more open to infection. Our immune system at times can be weak, like in the Winter time when we don't have the sun, we don't have vitamin D in our body, and our bodies are more open to infection. In fact, the Department of Infectious Diseases and Control has a detailed guideline on how we can control infections. Like, you know, the new thing now is we used to cough into our hands, right? And then you shake, hey, how you doing, right? Now it's what? 
You cough into your arm. You hack all your loogies into your arm, right? Um, we, we, we clean our surfaces, right? We, they, they tell you to wash your hands. Um, when you go into the hospital, there's the, there's the hand sanitizer stations every two feet, right? Because they want to control the different diseases that can easily go. And, and hospitals are probably the worst place in the world for that because that's where people are, are sick and it's easy to spread infectious diseases through that. So they tell you to clean your hands. They, they tell you, don't eat raw chicken. I don't know who eats raw chicken here. I don't remember that ever being a problem of eating raw chicken, okay? I, I don't know. But, but spiritually, uh, we can get sick too. So how do we stop our hearts from being inf- infected and to remain pure? Because the same thing can happen when we are spiritually unhealthy in our lives. Not only does it affect you, but others around you in the church as a whole. And that's my prayer for you as your pastor, is that you would be spiritually healthy. And we can get off on a lot of side issues in Christianity. I call them secondary issues or non-essential issues that have nothing to do with salvation and getting somebody saved. And we love, many times as Christians, to get off on these non-essential issues that can divide us. One of them can be as simple as what version of the Bible that you read. Some people are like, it's King James only. If it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, then it's good enough for me. And, and we can say, well, you, you read the NIV, the nearly inspired version, or you read the ESV, the elect standard version, I call it. You know, the, the problem, that was funny. But anyways, the problem is, the problem is we can take these secondary issues and we begin to fight and argue. And, it, and, it, and it's just unhealthy. It's unhealthy for our, our spiritualists. It's unhealthy for the church. It's unhealthy for our relationships. So what I want to do is I want to tackle over the next four weeks is how do we protect our hearts? How do we protect the church from, from not becoming unhealthy? And, and Paul just does a wonderful job here as he's writing this book to the church in Philippi. And basically, Paul writes this letter while in prison, and he really writes to a healthy church. The church has a special place in Paul's heart because it was the first church he founded in Europe. The purpose of this letter was really not not to uh, correct them like he was writing to the church in Corinth, but actually he was writing to the church in Philippi to encourage them to remain strong and healthy. To, to stay on the right track. Where when he was writing the church in Corinth, it was really to correct them because they were way off base on secondary, non-essential issues. And Paul needed to speak some harsh words to them to correct them. Not so with the church in Philippi. And so he's writing to encourage them. And so what I want to look at is I want to start off in, in Philippians chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, pull those out. And we're just going to look at the first 11 verses of Philippians 1. And I want you to get, as we read this, I want you to get the the heartbeat of Paul, the excitement that's in Paul's heart, and how Paul encourages them to stay on the right track with their walk with God. Philippians 1.10, in fact, will be our main core verse throughout these four weeks. And in verse 10, he says, so that you may be able to discern what is best, and and here's the key right here, and may be pure 
and blameless for the day of Christ. So he says, basically, the, the core of this whole letter says, I'm writing to you, to you so that you may be able to discern what is best for your life. And that not only to discern that, but to remain pure and blameless. The word pure there means not to be mixed with anything, not an alloy. An alloy metal means it's not pure, it's mixed with other metals. He's saying, I want your life to be pure, not mixed with other stuff that's going to cause you to become unhealthy. I want you to be blameless. So Paul has encouraged them, stay on the right track. Paul tells us in his letter the reason for his joy and how we can live in an infectious, free life. So let's jump into it. Let's look at verse 1. Paul writing here, encouraged by what is going on in the church in Philippi, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, he says, I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident, confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with an, with an affection of Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, what I want to look at here is I want to kind of dissect these verses a little bit and see the heartbeat and the meaning behind Paul's uh, writing here. One thing that I want you to understand that, that Paul is, has guarded his heart against as an apostle, and it overflows in these first verses, is what is the one thing that can infect our spiritual life more than anything else that if we're not careful? The one thing that I can see in Paul's writing here is he's just thankful. He's thankful for them. Here he is in prison, and he's thankful for this church. He's encouraging himself of what God is doing in this church. And one thing that it can affect our spiritual lives is ungratefulness. How many of you, at time, or, or many times maybe, maybe too many times, we just have a pity party for ourselves? We get down. We get feeling sorry for ourselves. Life, life gets hard. No one seems to care. We get down and start to become cynical about things. See, the problem, when my life begins to get to that point, and here Paul is in prison, if anyone had reason to, to be discouraged, it would be Paul. But yet, that's not the heartbeat. That's not the tone of this letter. In fact, Paul is very joyful. He's very thankful. And so the, the thing I want you to understand is the one thing that Paul, if, if you read any of his letters, is he really guarded his heart against one thing, and that was discontentment. And I believe the one thing that can infect our heart if we're not careful more than anything else to cause our spiritual lives to become unhealthy is discontentment. And it, what is at the heart of discontentment? Well, it's sin. It's doing things to satisfy myself. 
I like what Pastor John Piper says here. He says, sin is what you do when you are not satisfied in God. We feel, we, we feel that God is not enough. We need something more. And so what, what begins to happen is there's this unsettling in our heart where we say, there's got to be something more. Well, Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. So if you're trying to chase stuff down to find something new and find something better, how many know it just lasts for a time? It lasts for a time, and then what begins to happen? It begins to lose its appeal. Now, I just got a brand new smartphone, the new Samsung 4. Love it. I had the... Somebody went... This thing is great. I had the original Galaxy from like three years ago, and, and this thing is bigger, and it's just cool, and it's just got a lot of neat fe features. Like other people with the same phone, you can touch phones and share information, like boop, and you can share information. It's really cool. And, and I'm totally not technically, I'm technically challenged to the ninth degree. So I'm asking these guys the question at the Verizon store, and he's like, really? Why do you even have a smartphone? Those are... Here's a class we offer, okay? Be the first one to sign up for the class, okay? Um, but how many know that after a while, even this wonderful, for, you, for those of you that like technology and you like stuff and you like techie stuff, how many know it eventually loses its appeal? Because guess what? Since I had my original Samsung Galaxy, there's been four phones that have come out since then, Right? within three or four years, right? It, it's, uh, how many of you have an iPhone 5, right? You know, you know, right? It's like, oh man, they got it. And, and so it's, it, it's a never-ending saga, right? Man, I just got this new phone and now it has hydraulic mud flaps on it. Man, I want to get the hydraulic mud flaps feature on that. Why did I not wait? And then you get it and, and it's, it's old, right? It becomes obsolete. Right? And so that, that's, that's something intrinsic within all our hearts is that our hearts are ever wandering. We're, we're always looking for something to fulfill our heart. And I like what John Piper says. That's what sin does. Sin is what you do when you're not satisfied with God. You see, discontentment, at the core of discontentment is just sin. It's just the want to fulfill something in our lives. And continue to fill it and fill it. It's just, a, it's just emptiness. And so we feel that God is not enough. We, we, we need something more. When we feel we deserve something, when we feel we are entitled to something, just because we become discontent. Now here's the wrong thinking. The wrong thinking is this. Here's where we've got to be careful with discontentment. And this is something that obviously Paul understood and he wrote to encourage us about. The, the wrong thinking is this. I deserve this because I work hard. I deserve this because I'm a good person. I deserve this because I was treated unfairly. I deserve this because the company is greedy. I deserve this because I give so much to the church. See, the bottom line is, Paul writes to us to tell us that the truth of the matter is we deserve nothing, right? Does God owe us anything? Okay, we, we, we better get this down. Because when you get this down, it will literally protect your heart from a heart that, that can easily become discontented with things. 
If you can just get this into your mind and get this principle in your mind that you deserve nothing, you'll be thankful for everything. See, that, that's the danger we run into the, because we live in a country that we feel like we're entitled to things because I'm a citizen of this country, so I have rights. And because I have rights, I'm owed a certain thing. But see, in the economy of the kingdom of God, it's just the opposite. God doesn't owe you anything. In fact, he gave you everything, right, that you never deserved or earned or merited, but God gives you everything through his son Jesus. So really, God owes you nothing because if God did owe you something, then you could bargain with God, couldn't you? If, if, if God's grace was just a limited grace or if it was just enough grace to say, okay, God, thank you for saving me, and, um, but if I earned that grace by what I did or didn't do, then I could bargain with God. But because I didn't earn God's grace and it was completely given to me through his mercy, then there's nothing that God cannot ask of me period. So God doesn't owe us anything. We we deserve nothing. Listen to Paul's word to the Corinthians who he is correcting because they're unhealthy and, and, and they were using their bodies for unhealthy things and immoral things. And Paul says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your bodies. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You see, the word bought there is actually borrowed from the slave market. Jesus literally purchased us from the slavery of sin. The purchase price was the blood of Christ and he sacrificed his very life for my freedom. So the problem is we become discontent when we realize we don't have what others have, right? We compare our lives. Well, how come they have this? You know, think about it this way. If you lived on a desert island, right, uh, you would have nothing to compare with anyone else to. You would have nothing to compare. So your phone would be the best, right, even though you couldn't use it, Uh, your clothes would be the best because you have no one to compare. Your car would be the best. You, you would have no one to, to compare anything with. You see, discontentment can easily infect our souls and take over everything else. That's what's dangerous. I love Jerry Bridges' author says this. He says, materialism wars against our souls in a twofold matter. First, it makes us discontent and envious of others. Second, it leads us to pamper and indulge our bodies so that we become soft and lazy. So how do we protect ourselves from an ungrateful heart? How do we, because that's something that can easily infect every single one of us and we can easily get discontented and we live in a world that, that is constantly bombarding us with the new and improved and, and, and you need to have this and you need to have that and you need to do this and you need to look this certain way and we're constantly bombarded with this and, and it's so hard to, to turn to Christ and say, Christ, I'm just satisfied in you. So how do we protect ourselves from an ungrateful heart? Well, Paul gives us some great insight here, and I just want to give you a couple principles, and I want us to look at the bigger picture here, and a couple things here that I think Paul brings out so well in these first few verses of chapter 1. If you're taking notes, you can write these two things down. I, I want you to write these two things down. Here's what Paul does. Paul 
looks back to see that God was faithful in the past. So write that down. He looks back. And the second thing I want you to see is Paul not only looks back, but he looks forward. Because he has a confidence that God is faithful. Not only has God been faithful in the past, but God will be faithful in the future. So let's look at these two things. In his writing, Paul understands what Christ is doing. He's not discontented with his particular circumstances where he's in prison, where he could be very very easily discontented with his life. Paul encourages himself. So what does he do? The first thing he does is he looks back. What Paul is, Paul is thankful for what Christ has done. And so what he does in this writing is he includes what God has done in the Philippians and what God has done in his own heart how they actually share the same grace. And so what he says is this. Paul understands what he's going through. He understands that he's in prison. He understands that he's in prison for his belief in Christ. You think Paul should be angry. Why me? I didn't sign up for this. But the opposite is true. What he does in verse 3 is he says, I thank God every time I remember you. While I'm in my chains... I think about this church and how well you're doing. I thank God for that. I thank God that you're growing, that that you partake in the same gospel message that was presented to me. This is how he encourages himself while he's in chains. He thinks about somebody else and what God is doing in their lives. What? That doesn't make sense, Pastor. Because I should be concerned about myself, right? How I'm, why aren't you guys helping me, Philippian church? Why aren't you, why aren't you coming to my rescue? What are you doing? Do you care about me? It's not what he says. He says, I thank God every time I remember you. You see, what causes Paul in the midst of his pain and loneliness to be thankful? He remembers what God did in their lives. They were faithful in their commitment to Christ. He looked beyond his own life to see something bigger that was going on. He, he, what he did was he actually thought about the individual lives that were changed for Christ. And he thought about the grace of God that saved them. See, here's the thing. If you're going to protect your heart from ungratefulness, You've got to remember what God has saved you from. He saved you from hell and destruction. And if that's not enough, then we've got some serious thinking to do about our walk with Christ. Right? See, you've got to encourage yourself. Because I know everybody's circumstances is different. We all go through crud in our life and difficult things in our life. But the thing that's going to help us to get through the stuff in our lives that can cause us to get discouraged is we've got to be like Paul here. Paul understood that the way he encouraged himself is he remembered what God was doing, that God was faithful in the past and he's going to continue to be faithful. He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't forgotten about you. Paul understood that even though he was in prison, Jesus didn't forget about him. And so Paul writes this letter in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his loneliness, 
to a church that was doing well in Christ. And you know what that did for him? It encouraged him. Here's, here's just a little tidbit for you. When you're going through a difficult time in your life and you feel lonely and you feel discouraged, begin to reach out to somebody else. I'm telling you. When you begin to reach out to somebody else that's hurting and in pain or you write an encouraging letter to somebody else, there's something that it does to your own spirit because you'll encourage yourself because it's so easy to get revolved in our own lives and then that spiral downward goes, right? And, and we all know it's going to be there tomorrow, right? All the problems. But for some reason, when you reach out to somebody else, that's why I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a chaplain at a local hospice um, care facility in this area. And basically, I'm just the, the, I'm the fill-in pastor. I'm the gap pastor. I'm the generic pastor that just goes when they need me. If, if, the, if the patient doesn't have care, I don't care who it is. They call. I say, call me anytime. And I'll go there if they don't have any pastoral care. I love that because, because what I do is I don't know that person. They may not attend our church. They may have never met me. But I love going there and ministering to those people. And what happens is when you see someone at the end of their life and you're ministering them and you're sharing the hope in Christ and you see them reach out to the Lord, I leave that place just on cloud nine. Because there's something that you walk out of that more blessed than you feel what you're giving to that person, Right? Because it's better to give than receive. It just is. And that will help you in your discontentment. When you're able to give of yourself and share of God's grace with someone else, man, it changes intrinsically what's going on in your own heart and your own life. And I believe that's what Paul is doing here. Paul is reaching out and thanking God for them. And I believe within that it's encouraging him and his own loneliness and maybe even his own despair of just being all by himself. But he's encouraged because he knows Christ is doing a good thing. So he looks back. The second thing I want you to look is Paul looks forward. He knows that God is faithful in the future. And this is what he says. He says, Christ will never give up on you. But just remember that. Remember to be thankful for what God has done. And remember that Christ will not give up on you. I love verse 6. Paul says, and I am certain. The word certain there means without any doubt. So Paul says, without any doubt, I'm certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it is finished and finally finished on the day when Christ returns. Some of you need to hear that today. I think we can give up far too easily when things don't go my way, when, when I struggle with health issues, when I'm struggling with just things that, that are beyond my control, when we feel like God is not answering our prayers, we can easily get discontented with God. But realize that God that began a good work within you through Christ Jesus is going to be faithful to complete it in you. He's not going to give up on you. I know your circumstances may seem bleak and it may cause you to just get down on yourself, but you need to encourage yourself in the Lord. I believe as Paul's writing this, he's encouraging himself in the Lord that, that even though I'm in prison, I know that God is completing a good work because I've seen what he's done in the church in Philippi. Th th that church is my baby. That church is my first church in Europe. I've, I've, got, I've got blood, sweat, tears in this church. I see how you're growing. This just warms the cackles of my heart. I don't even know if that makes sense, but it just, he's just, he's, he's excited about it. 
And this is encouraging because he knows that God is going to do a good thing in this church. See, but God is doing that, that deeper work in your life that you may not even see or even see at that moment. But you've got to be patient. Just say, God, I know you're not done with me. I know you started this good work. It doesn't seem like it's going my way, but I know you're doing a good work and I'm just going to be patient. You see, true, genuine spiritual progress is basically rooted in three things. I love this. I got this out of my ESV study notes. And basically it's these three things. True, genuine spiritual progress is rooted in these three things. It's rooted in what God has done. It's rooted in what God is doing. And it's rooted in what God will do. Now, if you forget any one of these three, it can easily derail your walk with the Lord. If you forget what God has done, you become discontented. If you forget what God is doing right now in your life, you'll become discontented. If you forget what God will do in your life, you'll easily become discontented. You see, we've got to remember, God, look what you have done. You were faithful then, and you're going to be faithful today. God, I can remember way back then when I was going through that difficult time and that struggle. Boy, I can look back now and say, wow, you really got me through that. I can see your faithfulness there. And I know you got me through that, and you're going to get me through this, what God has done. See, what God is doing is we may not see it right now, but I'm going to say, God, I'm going to trust you because I know you're working in my life and heart. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to keep reading your word. I'm going to keep praying, even though I don't feel the spiritual doodads right now. I, I may not see the answer right now, uh, but I'm going to trust you. I'm just going to be faithful to you. I'm going to continue to, to, to make church a priority in my life. I'm going to continue to make prayer and Bible a priority. I'm going to make these things a priority. I, even though I don't feel them right now, I know they're building something in me that's going to give me stability in my life. So when I need to draw upon that later, it will be there. You see, when we, when we did certain mission trips in Central America and we worked in some of the high hill areas, nine, 10,000 feet above sea level, there was no water in parts of Guatemala that were in go through these tremendous dry seasons where they won't see any rain for months. And so what they do is they have these huge cisterns. And we had to take showers through these cisterns and that's how they had their water made out of adobe. It was kind of cool. And what they do is they collect rainwater during the rainy season so that when the dry season comes, they're able to tap into the reserve that they collected during the rainy season. Catch it. Watch me. Track with me here, okay? 8.30 crowd that woke up early this morning. Listen, you may not feel it now, but when your faith say, God, I'm going I'm to make, uh, this is a non-negotiable. Church is a non-negotiable. We're going to go. We're going. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going to get up. I don't care what's going on. Church is non We're going to go. I know that's the right thing to do. I need to be with God's people. I need to worship. I need to hear God's word. We're going to go. God, I need to continue to read your word. God, I'm going to continue to pray. Even though I may not feel, I'm going to be, I'm just going to make a commitment to do this. Because you may not feel it now, but all of a sudden when you're going through the dry times in your life, you've got a reserve there that's going to help you get through. And you're going to be like, how in the world did I get through that? It's because your anchor was in a good spot. 
your attachment was to Christ and not to your worry, not to that situation, right? Not to that circumstance that was beyond your control, but it was attached to Christ. So there's going to be an anchor for your soul that won't let go because your moorings are secure in Christ Jesus because you were faithful to him. It was what God is doing in your life. You may not see it now, but just remain faithful. And I believe the reason why Paul could encourage himself during these times is because he encouraged himself in the Lord. He remained faithful to God. So even during this very difficult time of his life, he could still find joy and still rejoice in what God was doing in others, in, in another church. And then the third thing there is what he will do, and you will be faithful until Jesus' return. You see, when we are when we are infected with this ungrateful heart, we are not able to grow. And nothing will stunt your growth in Christ more than discontentment. Notice the, the fruit of, of Paul's contentment in the Lord and his thankfulness as he finishes out this verse in verses 9 through 11. Here, here's what true growth is. Here's the evidence of God's faithfulness in your life. There's, how many know that there's if you're serving the Lord and you're trusting him, there is going to be good fruit that's going to come forth in your life. And Paul explains it here in verses 9 through 11. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth and in insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory of in praise of God. So the question is this. How can I love Christ more? How can I have the same passion and love that Paul had for Jesus? How can I have that love and desire and gratitude for the Lord? You have to be grateful. Be thankful for everything that God has done in your life. Because that's a reflection of the gospel message that's seated in your heart. When you get the gospel message that you didn't earn it or deserve it, that God's grace was just bestowed on you because of his mercy and grace, when that thing is just so deeply seated within your heart, it's very difficult to become ungrateful. Because the seed of your heart, the depths of your heart, are attached to that gospel message that says you didn't earn it or deserve it and my grace is there for you and I'm going to keep pouring out my grace and 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 you experience that every single day. That's why Paul could sit in prison and experience God's joy because he knew the grace of God that saved him. That's it. And so let's, let's, listen, let's just guard our heart as much as possible in this area because I'm, I'm with you in this area. It, it's so easy to complain, right? It, it, you know, it's either too hot or it's too cold or it's, right, you live in Rochester, get over it, okay? It's, it's just the way it is here, right? It, it teaches us perseverance, right? It's so easy. If we, we're not complaining about the hot weather, we're complaining it's too cold, right? It's just, it's, it, it, it's just a reflection of our wayward hearts that it's never 
ever enough. Is Jesus enough for you? He should be. He should be for me too. And he says, I love you so much that I want to pour my grace on your life every single day. Will you allow me to do it? And I believe it comes through the heart of gratitude and praise and just thanking God for what he's done. And I believe that's why Paul could thank God in the midst of his circumstances is because he thanked God for what he was doing in the lives of the Philippian church. And he was able to give himself to that. And that's what gave him encouragement and joy in his own life because he saw lives that were being changed through the power of Jesus' name. Amen. So as we go to the Lord's table today, And as we take communion today, basically what this is, it's a reflection. It's a remembrance of what Christ did for us. So when we take communion, what we're doing is we're remembering. We're remembering the blood that was given, that was shed. We're remembering uh, the, the bread that represents his body that was given for us. And basically it's a celebration because we're thanking God for sending his son for you and I. And so this is what we're going to do. The the ushers are going to assemble themselves so we're able to serve you this morning. But this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And what I want you to do this morning is I just want you to take time in your own hearts this morning to reflect on your relationship with Christ. And just say, maybe, maybe there's some things in your heart that need to get settled with the Lord. Maybe there's some ungratefulness in your heart that needs to get settled with the Lord. Maybe you're here and you don't even have a relationship with Christ. And so you just need to work on that today. So that's what I want us to do today. I want us just to work on the things in our life that need to be settled in our hearts and lives. So as we serve you this morning, I want you to worship and I want you to look at the songs and I want you to look at what the Lord is doing and what he did through his son Jesus. But I also want you to look at your own heart and just begin to worship him. So just before the the ushers serve you, we're going to pray. And so let's bow our hearts. Let's bow our hearts right now and just ask the Lord to look into our own hearts and ask God to do something deeper. Maybe there's that seed of ungratefulness that's in your heart and it's kind of infecting your life and it's it's in your attitude. And you're like, you know what, Pastor? Yeah, there are some things I need to work on in my heart. And I've, I've kind of lost, you know, that joy in Christ because of the things in my world that are just, are, are getting me down. And I need to look back to Christ to be my source and my strength and my sufficiency. So Lord, I pray you cleanse us today. In fact, the Apostle Paul said to examine our hearts before we take communion. And we pray that you would just examine our hearts today. That, God, if there's anything that's in there that ought not be, we ask for your forgiveness, and we thank you for your grace that's available today. Lord, for anyone here that's not bowed their knee to you and has confessed you as Lord and Savior, they can do that right now and and partake in communion, remember. So anyone that's here right now that says, Lord, I believe in you, forgive me of my sins, and confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior, can be forgiven and can partake in this wonderful celebration of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so, Lord, just take our hearts and our lives, and Lord God, I just pray for your forgiveness for the times that we've just become ungrateful, and we just want to thank you 
Thank you for what Jesus has done for us that we can find that joy again. Take away a, a cynical heart, a heart that's just unthankful. And let us be thankful for all you've done for us. We love you. We thank you. And we just pray, God, your blessing upon this time as we just worship you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. As the ushers serve you, please wait to the end. We'll take communion together as a family. So God bless you. Amen.
your blood speaks a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth. Speaks righteousness for me and stands in my defense. Jesus, it's your blood. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of our sin. And uh, this is this is something that Jesus issued to the body of Christ. He said, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. We're remembering the great sacrifice that Christ made for us. And, and with that, the remembrance, I think Jesus knew something. He knew that when we remember, we, we would become grateful that we would become thankful. And it's good that we remember. I mean, it, it can become a mind thing and a head thing, but then if it's not here in our heart, if, if Christ hasn't changed our heart and give us a, a heart of gratefulness for what he's done for us, it's easy for us to, to become ungrateful again and, and feeling that we deserve something or that we're owed something when we're owed nothing. And so Christ gave everything for you and I, everything for your freedom. He laid his very life. He that was innocent and without sin, he took our sin upon himself so that you could find freedom today. That's the Savior we serve today. That's how deep Jesus' love is for you and I today. That God demonstrates this love for us, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And so that's what these emblems symbolize. The body of Christ that was given for us, the, his very own blood that was shed for us. He felt the nails being driven in his hands and his feet. He, he felt the, 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 the thorns from that crown of mocking Christ placed upon his head. He felt the, the whips that went on his back and tore his flesh. He hung naked on the cross, hum, being, just being completely humility upon that cross and humbling himself. And, and allowing himself to be exposed for you and I. That's the Savior we serve today. We have a lot to be thankful for today. So Lord, we thank you for these emblems today and we hold this bread in our hands and we say thank you. We, thank, we say thank you for giving us everything. We thank you that you're the bread of life. That Lord, when we come to you, we, we, we don't have to hunger anymore for the things in this world that leave us empty but you fulfill every need and you satisfy everything in our heart. We thank you for that, Jesus. May you be our satisfaction today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the bread together. And Lord, we thank you for what this cup symbolizes. Your very own blood that was shed for us. And we know through your sacrifice, you appeased, you took the wrath of God upon yourself. And because of that, God's judgment is no longer pointed towards us for those who put their trust in Christ. And for that, we are thankful. And so we thank you, Jesus, for your blood today. We thank you for your death that satisfied, that appeased God's holiness and his holy standards. And now through our faith, we can find ourselves in Christ and literally be clothed in Christ's righteousness where the judgment of God and the condemnation of God, uh, of God is no longer pointed towards us because Christ covers us through his death and resurrection. Cover us today. Cover us in your blood. Cover our families, our marriages. 
protect and cover us today, God. We are covered today. We are covered. We are made whole. We are made right now because of Christ. And for that, we love you. So as we partake of this cup together, I pray that you would just unify living word together under that precious blood that we would love you with a deeper love and that we would love each other with a deeper love. Let forgiveness flow from our hearts. God, may it be displayed. May your grace that was poured out upon me be displayed in the way we treat others now. Let our love grow deeper. Let our love abound as Paul prayed, that it would grow deeper and deeper and deeper. So we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Amen. Let's give the Lord praise this morning and just thank him. Amen. Lord, uh, let's stand as we go in God's grace today. Just grab the hand of the person next to you. Let's just, uh, let's pray for each other. We're the body of Christ. Amen. Lord, I, I thank you for this church. Lord, we pray for those on the right and the left of us. Lord, just use our church to impact this world for Jesus. Lord, I pray for every hurting heart here today, every, anyone that's struggling, may they find themselves in you. So Lord, I thank you for this body. Just draw us together through your mighty hand, God. Thank you for your blood. Cover us today as we go forth. I just pray a blessing over every single person in this place, every married couple, every single person. Lord, just a blessing over their lives that they would wake up every day and experience the mercies of God every single day. So we thank you and we love you for this time and we just give you the praise in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, God bless you guys. Have a great day.
hearts of the Father's heart To make a way for us Now boldly we approach Not by earthly confidence It's only by your blood Hear my song, hear my 